the Ghost Goal Podcast. Liverpool came storming back from 2-0 down at home against Arsenal to cap off an eventful 2-2 draw with the Gunners with a Roberto Firmino goal in the 87th minute. Meanwhile, Manchester City have put together a couple of 4-1 wins in the league and have since pumped Bayern Munich 3-0 in the Champions League earlier today. We've got all this news at the top of the table, uh, plenty of results in uh, the middle of the table and down the relegation zone uh, to talk about as well. Welcome to the Ghost Call Podcast, episode 404. I'm Alex, here with Javier. Javier, uh, do you feel like that was a point gained at a difficult away ground, or do you feel like you dropped two points in that Liverpool-Arsenal game on Sunday? Well, I mean, you know what they say, to win the title, you have to win your your home games against the big six and at least draw away, not lose. So we've lost the last 10 years in a row at Anfield, and uh, to get at least a point there does feel, uh, in the end, like uh, a point gained because this game could have easily been lost. You know, Salah missed a penalty. Uh, There's no way you felt like that. Uh, there's no way you felt like that at full time. At Maybe full-time because of the last couple of chances. You, you really I felt did. like... At full time, I did. Obviously, in the 86th minute before those like three last chances basically happened and they got their equalizer, I didn't feel that way. Um, but... Over the balance of the la- the end of the game, the way that we played those last fifteen minutes, yeah, it felt it felt like it was a point gained because, I mean, in those last fifteen minutes, to put it into perspective for everybody, this this was the highest expected goals Liverpool had had the entire season, which, for you know, a team that had won seven nil and not had scored nine goals in a game, they had more expected goals in this game and they only scored two. So they could have, you know, with the way that they've finished in other games before, had four, five, six, seven in this game, you know. So that's not good from good enough for the for the Arsenal players. They're gonna know that, you know, we had the game basically in the bag in the first half. The way we were playing, um, you know, we played. Yeah, I gotta say, in the first half. you guys, I thought you guys were excellent in the first half, and I was sitting, I was sitting here watching the game with uh, with my brother, and I was just kind of saying like, this needs like some kind of mistake from Arsenal or for someone like maybe uh, Gabriel to get injured at the back and you have to bring on Kiwior, uh, like an inexperienced player in a hostile situation. It, it felt like that was what was going to need to happen or maybe like a red card for Arsenal or something for Liverpool to, you know, get some momentum back because they, they couldn't conjure anything except for that, um, that Robertson, uh, chance, I think maybe 20 minutes in when they were already down one nil where he flashed it wide across goal and then eventually they had like that flurry later in the, the first half that got them back into it before halftime. But like f- you guys led from the eighth minute of this game all the way to the 87th minute. That's, you know, like 70 minutes of the game, plus 70 plus minutes of the game. You guys were in the lead. I know you were hanging on for it for, you know, the latter half of that period. But I would still be pretty disappointed if I was an Arsenal fan just because of you know, how indomitable that like Manchester City have started to look like going from winning games closely to now just well, wiping the well, floor again, with everyone the, the, they play. Just, uh, to put it into perspective to you, Manchester City lost at Anfield this season, you know, so True. this is a point game. Much where, earlier where, in the season. Yeah, this is a point game. First half of the season City we're talking about now. And, and, and now for this Liverpool side, this is a team that's much healthier than they were earlier in the season. You know, they had a bunch of injuries. 
Um, you know, and uh, I don't know. I, I overall in in the scope of things, I think there's, there were positives to take. Like Gabriel Jesus, that performance in the first half. You know, this was this is an incredibly hard ground. I think the hardest place to go in the Premier League. I think this is the hardest fixture for for almost any team that plays at Anfield every year. Um, you know, especially with Jurgen Klopp and the energy that his teams bring with Anfield as you know that twelfth man. So. Uh, I do want to talk about the what you said, though, Alex, uh, hitting on that point of bringing on Kiwior. I, I thought that was a mistake from Arteta. Um, I, I didn't like bringing on yeah. the inexperience of Kiwior. Um, I think it kind of put a little bit of panic into the team. We took out Odegaard, who wasn't having the most amazing game, but Odegaard just brings a calmness and um, a decisiveness to our midfield that as soon as he came off, it was just kind of like we gave up midfield and basically hunkered down and tried to win 2-1, which I wasn't in love with. I wasn't in love with that idea at Anfield, um, especially with, you know, babyface assassin Bobby coming on and scoring on us like usual. Um, just And especially with Jorginho being available. Yeah, like I was I texting that, you I during that second half. I thought it would have been a great half. move to, to, to take out, yeah, to, if you wanted to take out Odegaard, at least put on Jorginho to keep some control in midfield. You know, we just gave up midfield. It was it was kind of bizarre. He didn't even put in, you know, I thought Shaka needed to come off much earlier. You know, I think he, we have to talk about him basically, you know, probably should have gotten a red card for his, his elbow in the first half and got lucky to get a yellow there, but ignited the, the Anfield crowd. And right. the, literally that from that free kick, Liverpool go down the field and score. So it was not blaming it on Jaka because there's, there's, you know, always situations that get him into that position and blah, blah, blah. But he, he didn't have to do that. And you know, but that's also like kind that, of that, that's kind of it's naive. what he brings to the team. Yeah, you gotta it is. live with the good stuff and live with exactly. the bad stuff. You this know, is the bad there's going to be instances like that where he does something like that at home when you're at the Emirates, and all of a sudden he's igniting your crowd, and it's a positive all of a sudden. Like he's older, and he should know not to rile up the infield crowd when you're on top of them like that. But at the same time, he it's just been so overall positive for him this season that I, I can't really even get that mad with him. Like for it, it, it would have if it wasn't that it would have been something else. It would have been like a harsh tackle from an Arsenal defender that would have riled up the crowd. It's bound to happen at some point in a game of that magnitude. Um, so let me take a look at the table real quick uh, before we like move on to Manchester City. I do just want to see it's what a six point gap now and Manchester City have a game in hand, right? Correct. So uh, we were just mentioning before we started recording that if Manchester City win their game in hand and they beat Arsenal at the Etihad, uh, they have a superior goal difference, and presumably that would hold. I guarantee. So the title is in Manchester will, City's hands. I guarantee you, Javier, both teams will drop Javier. points at some point along the way as well. Uh, okay, okay, we can get to that in a second. But I just want to say, this is the best thing that could have happened to Arsenal. Yeah, because I think the weight again. and the expectation of Arsenal having the lead and being, you know, chased down by, I mean, cue the Imperial March here, if I can figure out how to edit it in again. Um, Manchester City have just been going on. They've been ramping up, as you like to say, Javier. It's your, your favorite phrase yeah, when eight, a team nine, goes from playing well to... Eight in a row, right. Yeah, and just the manner of which they've performed in games like this Bayern Munich game earlier today the uh, Southampton away game over the weekend, the Liverpool game the previous weekend. Even when teams have pushed back on them, it's not really affected their confidence or their composure in front of goal. 
for at least these last three games. And before that, they were still winning games 1-0, you know, 2-0, 2-1, whatever. But the the improvement here for Manchester City, I think, is going to be a positive in the end for Arsenal. Um, as long as you can get maybe some players like Saliba back in. I've, I've noticed, you know, Kiwior as your op, your bench option <laughs> as a center back is a very different prospect than William Saliba. Like, Kiwior's been playing... U twenty one like development you mean team Rob football Holding. since Rob Holding's been the, well no the Rob Holding's, Holding's actually no Rob Holding's actually been pretty good I'm just saying if uh, you, if you can't be having to exactly, needing yeah. to come into a big game like this if it happens in the Manchester City game you guys could lose that one four one five one or whatever like you, you gotta you gotta fix that and having Saliba back available maybe moves Holding to the bench and he can be you know the sort of third center back option. Uh, if you like, and maybe even I think Tomiyasu's out injured as well. So if you can get him back, maybe if something like this happens again, you can shift Ben White into center back. I think Tomiyasu's He's played there before. Ah, the oh, hate to see it. Do you have any other right back options? I think we sold Cedric, so I don't think so. Right. Probably some kid All from right, the so academy. Ben White. It oh, is Ben White. Yeah. We just have Ben White, and then we've got. Uh, yeah, I, I brought him up just to propose moving him into center back if these like like the Saliba injury persists, just to make sure that a player like Kiwior doesn't have to get involved. But it, I'm assuming Saliba is going to be back soon, right? I think so. There was uh, pictures of him in training. There was rumors that he was going to start in this last game uh, against Liverpool, but I think it would have been a little bit too early. We we need him for the run in, so I'd rather uh, wait and not risk anything with him. You know. Let him, uh, let him, we, we only have a game a week, so don't want to lose any players in the run-in. As long as we have our full team going into the season, into the end of the season, I, I think we can do it. I think we can do it, Alex. It's in our hands as well. Yeah. Uh, so I, I wanted to make you feel a little good before we, you know, properly moved on to Manchester City. I know I've already mentioned like how dominant they've started to be, but let's like talk about just this. Bayern Munich game earlier today that they they the three 0 win they had in the Champions League quarterfinal first leg at home. Um, I, I'm pretty confident in saying that that's that tie wrapped up, which is kind of surprising. Assuming you know everyone has kind of thought this is like the biggest matchup of this round of the Champions League, and it, I feel like it's already over. Like there's only a week turnaround from now until the, the second leg. I feel like Manchester City are going to win or draw in the next game. I don't see Bayern Munich overturning that. How about you? Yeah, I don't. I don't see it either. I mean, that's such a devastating result. I mean, I I, I doubt Bayern will have no belief. I think they'll think that they can turn it around. It's happened before. Manchester City have collapsed before, you know. So they are going to be at home in front of their fans. But you know, and this is a Bayern Munich side that in Europe has been unbelievable in the last few seasons, especially at home. I don't, you know, really remember them losing at home. So I think they're going to get a win. I just think that it might not be enough. I think they'll win maybe 3-1 and City will still have a, you know, relatively two-goal cushion, comfortable, uh, you know, victory in overall. I think this is this is the tie, though. Winning 3-0 at home, it's too, too big to overcome against a team that has Erling Holland that's very likely going to score on you in that second leg. So you're going to need four goals or five goals, which I, I can't see that, you know. I can't see City conceding that many goals. I think like two to three maximum, right? So, yeah, I think City have found like the final key for how they want to play uh, this season. You, I, I, I can't exactly pick out. I haven't done the research. I should have done it, but I haven't done the research to 
pinpoint where exactly they made this shift, but they've really settled into this like almost three two four one formation yeah, where playing, they have they're very similar Ake, to Diaz, Akanji, and but like John Stones is essentially playing the Zinchenko role, like playing in midfield next to Rodri, progressing the ball forward. You know, using his ability on the ball as a center back, but also his athleticism to, you know, drop back into sort of more like right back positions when necessary and cover for a Kangji and turn it into a flat back four. But it's legitimately four center backs starting with uh, Rodri deep in midfield, scored a beautiful goal today uh, from outside the box to open the scoring. And then just, you know, Grealish, Gunduan, De Bruyne, Silva, and, you know, lots of times Mares starts instead of Bernardo Silva. Those four players just buzzing around in midfield, drifting out wide when there's space, it's impossible to track for for anyone. And Tuchel like kind of tried to to account for that by playing two deep midfielders in Kimmich and Goretzka, but even they couldn't like uh, cover the space necessary to keep Rodri from shooting. And Manchester City still dominated midfield as a, as a result. I, I think you might be right that it's just like Pep saying, "Ah, look what uh, look what my protege has done at Arsenal. I can do that too." John, come here. How do you feel about playing in midfield? <laughs> like, and he could have just kept Zinchenko and done this with Zinchenko, <laughs> if you think about it. But uh, yeah, that's been a that's been a huge. Uh, I mean, and then obviously Holland catching fire again. He never really. He never really lost uh, uh, form. He was still scoring here and there, but he's gone back into absolute Terminator form. Uh, I think I mentioned to you before that he's broken the record for most goals in all competitions by a Premier League player uh, with 45 now. That's incredible. Yeah, more than Ronaldo in like 2008, Brood van Nistelrooy in 2003. Mo Salah, you know, players like that. He's in his first year in the Premier League at his young age, 22 or 23, whatever he is. To be doing this already is just, it's obscene. What do we want to move on to next? Well, uh, you you go ahead and pick, Javier. There's plenty to talk about. Should we talk about this uh, Tottenham-Brighton game, Alex, that happened Saturday, 10 a.m.? It was a uh, huge game for Brighton and for Tottenham because Brighton, Top four aspirations. Let's be honest. We want justice for Brighton. I want justice for Brighton because they've been good enough this season. I thought they were good enough this game. Do you know what I mean, though? Yes, Alex. With the VAR decisions? Hold on. Uh, Let me me go off. I thought they were good enough in this game. Um, Bullshit. Son, amazing goal. Deserved. I can't say anything about that. Beautiful curler. You know, classic human son. He's, you know, maybe freed up a little bit with Antonio Conte gone. Um, But Brighton kept on the pressure, um, you know, I scored a goal that was chalked off for, I think, a bullshit handball for Matoma. I don't think it was a handball. It was, it was like, on his shoulder, and it was, you know, half on his chest, too. It, you know, when you're moving at speed, that's that's not a handball. It's not a handball, I think. I agree. And then uh, I didn't see what it was exactly and haven't seen an explanation yet for what uh, chalked off Welbeck's goal. But was that justified? I think that one was. I think that one was... I think it was slightly okay. outside. Yeah. So it's just the Matoma. It's just the Matoma one. Yeah. Well, the, the Matoma and then the Matoma penalty, which, you know, was as stonewall as it gets that anyone who watches the the replay, any Tottenham fan, any Brighton fan, any, any person, any player, anyone who sees it says it's a stonewall penalty. Hoiberg stamps on Matoma's foot in the box. You know, it doesn't matter. And Matoma had control of the ball. I mean, it, I don't understand how you 
don't immediately see that and call a penalty. Uh, bizarre to me. And there's no way that Tottenham go on and win this game with that Harry Kane goal late on, which, again, just went against the run of play. Um, yeah, it's just disappointing overall for Brighton because if they win this game, they're in, they're in a good position to make it top four to push a team like Tottenham away. But, you know, it's Tottenham, Manchester United, Newcastle fighting for those last three spots and the last two spots. And I don't think Brighton, I think this result's going to push them away. They're still in it for Europa, you know. I think they could they could possibly finish as high as fifth, but this was the, also the game that they needed to be able to finish fifth as well. So, yeah, they were right there. Tottenham were for the taking, and you know, Brighton, like you said, played well enough to win it. What but an they, incredible had a player lot. Matoma is, man! Since he's, he came he's onto in, the scene, he's incredible. He's just kept scoring goals, assisting, being an absolute threat, winning penalties. I mean. This guy is just a, a freak of nature. I, I, I've been saying it all season since he started playing. I, I would take this guy in a heartbeat at Arsenal. Um, I know he'd be competing with Martinelli. but Over uh, over Martinelli? I mean, I, I, he'd be competing with him, but I it would be... Over be, Trossard? I, I, there's probably a reason why Trossard was benched for him, you know. So Yeah, but Trossard's been playing well. Like, Trossard you can't has discredit been good. Trossard's been good. I, I don't want to discredit yeah. Trossard, but, but still. Uh, Matoma's been amazing and... Uh, so excited to see what he he does for the rest of the season and you know for seasons going forward because I think it's only inevitable before he ends up on a bigger team. Yeah, absolutely, especially the way we've seen uh, Brighton flip these players uh, from you know buying them for nothing to selling them for giant price tags. Uh, yeah, someone will definitely snatch him up. Uh, we do just have to mention with Tottenham that like they they really needed that win. Like I know we've obviously oh, mentioned the whole Conte business, but De Serbi and Stellini were both were both sent off in that game. Oh it was yeah, like for some, like, you know weird, arguing with the fourth yeah, official, they were arguing with each other and yelling at each other in Italian. Apparently, some weird. There was thing there was so there. many there were so many contentious decisions, and those guys are like Stellini. I remember he was the one at Stamford Bridge when Tuchel was still in charge earlier this season, like the second game of the season. He was the one who like like uh basically caused the entire like argument between uh Tuchel and Conte. He was like like yelling at the fourth official and like riling him up and distracting him so Conte could like have a go at Tuchel. Like he, he he's got that in him and Deserbi has had that in him in his like whole career. He's a very fiery character, so that doesn't surprise me at all. But like Tottenham really needed that win with uh both uh, Newcastle coming back against uh, Brentford, which was a tough away game for Newcastle. They won 2-1. And then Man United earlier in the day on Saturday beat Everton 2-0, which you would expect from them. Um, so Tottenham needed that, like, just to stop their own, uh, you know, bad run of form and all of the the crisis around that club at the moment. They really needed that win, even though they didn't necessarily deserve it. Um, and, yeah, it just feels, just feels like uh, Brighton need to catch a break. They, it's, this isn't the first game either that they've been screwed over by VAR decisions. There's been plenty of other games as well where I'd be very uh, upset if I were a Brighton fan. Now, all is not lost for Brighton because they do have still two games in hand. Spurs have 53 points. Brighton had 46, so they're uh, seven points behind. But if they win their two games in hand, which is difficult to ask, Brighton have a lot of hard games in the season. Um, but if they do end up somehow doing that, then they would be uh, just a point behind Spurs still. But this was a huge game to lose. And it brings me to the team that's actually taken over Brighton's spot in sixth place. Um, I think we should briefly touch talk about Unai Emery's Villa, Alex, because they are now 
the hottest team in the league, along with uh, Arsenal, Manchester City, Newcastle. You know, this I think team, they're uh, I think they're hotter than you guys now, right? Possibly, yeah. I mean, they keep they've been winning games, you know, blowing teams out. Watkins is scoring every single game. I think it's you know nine out of the last ten games he's scored. Una Emery did this, you know, when he first came in at Arsenal as well, you know, was resurgent in the team. His second season wasn't as good, um, you know, especially if he gets something like Europe with Aston Villa. But, you know, what a but He has nowhere right? near the same expectations but of Villa that he had at Arsenal. Around. We like, have to say, because Villa just, were in the relegation absolutely. zone when he came I, I'm not, in. I'm not, discre- I'm not discrediting, discrediting that at all, but Villa have been doing all of this very under the radar for the most part. Whereas at Arsenal, he was taking over from a club legend in Wenger right after he'd retired. He had a squad of complete shit at his disposal and still managed to get you guys, you know, in a race for top four into the Europa League final. Uh, you know, it didn't end well uh, for obvious reasons, but those expectations, uh, he had to deal with something like that at PSG as well. And, you know, won the title for them, but was overall pretty disappointing. So... To come in in the completely reverse situation where Villa are coming off one of their worst runs of form and one of their worst managers in a while that we can remember in Steven Gerrard, Villa managers were just happy to see the back of Gerrard. They didn't, like, when, let alone mentioning to them that they are getting a multiple European Cup winning uh, manager in uh, Unai Emery, who had just taken Villarreal to the Champions League semifinal. That, that's... Villa would have been happy if they were mid-table for the rest of the season. But, you know, with only their fans and only really, pretty much only really their fans paying attention to them, basically since uh, Unai took over just before the international break for the the World Cup, they've had the room and the, you know, sort of carefree atmosphere where they can grow and learn about Emery's system. He's obviously very good at setting teams up defensively, and they have a lot of the personnel to to pull that off. But now he's kind of figured out uh, which players that can be relied upon more so than others. And you know, he got rid of Danny Ings in the January window. Uh, he plays Leon Bailey a whole lot less, uh, and instead he goes with this like inverted four four two, where he plays two like center midfielders or attacking midfielders in. Uh, Jacob Ramsey and John McGinn as kind of like inside forward slash wide players uh, while Douglas Louise and Kamara sit deep at the, the base of midfield. And then he just has the, you know, Buendia and the pace of Watkins to to like combine up top. And he's found like an absolute winner. He's also like, he, like you were shitting on John McGinn earlier this season for being one of the worst players in the league. And he's turned his form around. He finally broke his goal-scoring duck against Chelsea uh, with a great like goal there. And uh, another player who's turned the season around has been Tyron Mings. And he's like one of the better center backs in the league now since Emery's come in. So I, uh, I don't know if I'm completely bought into the possibility of them qualifying for Champions League, though it, it's definitely not out of the realm of possibility. Oh, definitely not I, Champions League. They would need... To win every game for the rest of the season, no. I, I but like, but, ma- but mathematically league, speaking, they're conference league sixth place. But they're mathematically speaking, league. they are man. They're in sixth place. They're like still like a long way off United or. Uh, they're six points. They're six points behind Tottenham and uh, nine points behind Manchester United, who are in fourth. 
And uh, Man United still have uh, a game in hand on Aston Villa, so they can stretch that. But I, I'm just saying off of like their form, I would not be surprised if Villa fans are having like that big of dreams. Before the international break, they were <laughs> they were behind Chelsea and they were in 11th place. Like they've just shot right up there in the last like three weeks alone. So, I mean, who's going to tell them no? But I, I still wouldn't pick it just because I do trust United, Manchester United and Newcastle United. But uh, I think it's worth a mention because they have been playing that well. All right. Is it time to talk about uh, the relegation battle? And uh, by the relegation battle, I yeah, mean Ch- uh, Wolves. Wolves beating Chelsea 1-0 at Molyneux. Yeah, let's talk about it because uh, you should start sweating a little bit. I should start sweating about what? Relegation. So you want to know why I'm not sweating about relegation? Because Super Frankie Lampard. Because uh, I, I think it was uh, Squawker Stats. I saw a uh, a uh, probabilities no, graph that they right have. Now. You're good, Alex. Yeah, we're definitely good. But I saw a probability graph, and it has every team in the Premier League's probability of finishing in certain positions by the end of the season. And uh, our probability to finish in a Champions League place in the top four was less than 1%. And also our probability of finishing in a relegation place was less than 1%. So uh, I, I, I understood a while ago, probably back before even the World Cup, that Chelsea were not qualifying for top four. So uh, that that soothes my, uh, my worries about any sort of relegation jokes that people may make. Also, just the bottom end of the table is just so awful this season like there's so many teams still in much worse form and positions than Chelsea that uh yeah I don't think that's on the table but we, we should mention Frank Lampard coming in since that has happened since the last time we recorded I think it was back around last uh Thursday or Wednesday uh Frank had been at the Liverpool home game the nil nil on uh, Tuesday watching and it turned out that was uh, for a good reason because uh the Chelsea board agreed with uh, Frank Lampard's for him to come in as the interim manager for the rest of the season. Uh, I think it's a borderline callous uh, attempt by the Chelsea board just to, you know, appease the fans and, you know, keep us from going completely toxic uh, in the last couple of games of the season. And you know what? I love it. I'm all about it. Like, I, I don't even care how, like, blatant it is. Just uh, just throwing the fans like a toy that they've been taken away if they were a toddler. And be like, all right, just shut up. All right, stop complaining. Just take your Frank and, and, and enjoy the rest of the season. And you know what? I'm completely there with it. I'm in, like, we're like the iPad kid who's, like, had his iPad taken away and all of a sudden it's handed back to him and he's having the time of his life again. So, yeah, I mean, uh, it's not ideal, Alex, but it's, uh, it's, a, good, uh, it's a good plug uh, to the massive hole... That has been left by Thomas Tuchel at Chelsea. So, you know, at the moment it plugs that hole and it lets the fans get behind the team, get behind the players. You know, they're not going to be booing Frank Lampard week in and week out. So, like, they oh were no, not booing, at all. Like they were booing Graham Potter, and uh, I think that's that's going to be good for the players' confidence. Um, and Frank Lampard has a proven track record at Chelsea of being able to work with the team. With no, but you know, not really any type of budget. You know, he played. He he was coach of Chelsea under that. The, uh, the transfer ban still got top four for the team. You know, uh, so he's he's worked well with these with some of these Chelsea players, especially players like Mason Mount. Um, you know, Cesar Espiliqueta. He'll know these players well, Ingolo Conte, and uh, and I think he'll he'll try to get the best of them. You know, so. 
Yeah, assuming that we do get knocked out of the Champions League by Real Madrid in this round, which uh, I, I, I had my fun, like trying to convince myself to think, oh, we can put together a run in the Champions League. But, you know, we're a day out from kickoff, less than 24 hours from kickoff. And I'd be happy with like a 2-0 away loss in this first leg to Real. I would be over the moon with that. And then just hope we don't get too badly embarrassed uh, over the course of 180 minutes. So if uh, assuming that happens, I think one of the ultimate goals for Frank Lampard before the end of the season is getting Mason Mount back on form and displaying to these new owners that he is worth the money that he is asking for. Because we haven't mentioned it much on this podcast, but... There have been significant rumors and rumblings that uh, with the approach that the new ownership have with contracts, more performance-based contracts, not giving fully guaranteed money as often, uh, this is supposedly affecting the negotiations with Mason Mount, who has a year left on his contract uh, after this season. So if he doesn't sign a new contract, assuming you would assume he's going to be sold this summer. And no Chelsea fan wants that. And I don't think even fans of other teams, I think they would have a, a field day with us if that happened. It would it would be the equivalent of if Steven Gerrard had ended up going to Chelsea after that 2004-2005 season when it was like the rumors were, you know, heaviest that he was going to come to Chelsea and join Mourinho and Lampard. Um, he ended up staying, obviously. But the, the team that I've seen Lampard linked to the most, other than Bayern Munich since Tuchel's arrived... Is uh, is Liverpool and for Mason Mount to go to Liverpool? I just, I, I'd have to, I'd have to not talk about it for a while. I would have to like, like tiptoe around it for a while. Just take the abuse that would inevitably come, because the kid is supposed to be Mister Chelsea. He's been our Player of the Year each of the last two seasons. He's like, he's he's scored more and more goals and contributed more and more assists each of his first three seasons. And uh, until this season came around where, you know, the whole team took a nosedive in terms of form. And this is the first season he hasn't had improved numbers in goals and assists. So I'm not willing to give up on him because of one bad season that was pretty much the the rest of the team having a bad season more so as well. And three different managers, four different managers. Right. Marcus Rashford is a great example. He had an even longer period of time where he was not playing well. And there were rumors of him moving to PSG, among other clubs. So I wouldn't have advised United to sell him then. And that's obviously turned out to be uh, right for them to not sell him because he's, he's become one of the best players in the league this year. And I obviously think the same thing of Mason Mount. He's an excellent player. And if you have any you problems know, with, with Mason Mount as a player, on, on you have Mason problems Mount. with me. Yeah, I would take I would take Mason Mount at Arsenal. You know, I think he would we would revive his form instantly. So... He's the type of player, if he gets the right manager again, and like you said, there's been three or four managers now that have started him and made him the centerpiece of their team. So played him, you know, he's always been included, whether whether he's been in midfield, whether he's been in a 10 role, whether he's been on the wings, even false nine, whatever. Every manager that he's had has tried to, you know, fit him into the team. So just because he's having a not great season, you know, a little bit of off form, like the rest of the team, a lot of new players, new faces. You never know how that, how that's affected him, you know, Personally. Also, if he wants if he wants three hundred thousand a week, I don't know the exact numbers that we're working with here. He deserves but it. But if he wants that, he absolutely deserves it. Raheem Sterling got it, and he like and that was he was a new Chelsea player. Mason Mount has come through the academy since he was eight years old. With the earliest you can sign a player, he's been at Chelsea and represented us at every youth level. Won trophies at pretty much every youth level. 
he's a future captain possibility along with Reese James. It's kind of up in the air between those two. So to even have as many discussions as there have been about him leaving, it just feels like complete sacrilege to me. So hopefully Frank, who's obviously the Mason Mount whisperer, he's his father, as everyone likes to joke. Uh, Frank can come in, obviously not a great first game, but it looks like a lot of the same problems uh, from before. Uh, he can maybe bring Mason Mount back into this team in this 4-3-3 that it looks like he's uh, going to be playing and turn his form around and turn the team. So that's what I'm hoping for and looking forward to these last, you know, eight, eight or nine games of the season. So let's talk about some of these other, uh, these other relegation uh, like results. I mean, we should mention that Wolves win is huge for them. Uh, they were down uh, near the relegation zone, but are now up in 13th. Um, still only about four points above the relegation zone. Um, but uh, they got a big win. West Ham got a big win at Fulham to push them up to 14th. Bournemouth got a big win against Leicester to keep them down in the relegation zone uh, in 19th. And Bournemouth are up to 15th. Um, but then there were poor results for Leeds, Everton, Forest, Leicester City, obviously, and Southampton, who got pounded by Manchester City. Um I, I want to mention Leicester City. I think there's a couple teams we could really be worried for, but I think Leicester City are the team that I just haven't seen anything positive from them, even since Brendan Rodgers was fired. They're still managerless, right? Well, yeah, they, I mean, they have the caretaker from his staff, but it looks like they're now bringing in Dean Smith, the former uh, Aston Villa and Brentford manager. Um I don't know how much I love that one. I know he got Aston Villa out of a, out of, out of a relegation battle in the past, but I'm not, <laughs> I'm not completely sold on that one either. We, we, we saw a lot of, a lot of bad from him from his last few months in charge of uh, Villa uh, before they went out and got uh, Steven Gerrard in. But like, how do you feel in terms of like how Leicester have, you know, played their hand because, uh, you know, it seems like every team down there in the relegation zone has, you know, sacked their manager, made their move. Leicester are now making theirs. Do you feel like this gives them a chance of getting out? I I, I mean, I, I kind of agree with you that they're, they do seem like the team that's falling by the wayside right now. Um, you know, I didn't. One point in their last five, and I it was a way of Brentford. I see this with that little run of form that they had under Rodgers, you know, I think around January, um, but they really fell off. Like, as like you remember when I was talking about Hinacho, he stopped scoring, and he's just fallen off a cliff, disappeared into this team, and the, the goals have dried up now for Leicester. You know, Madison had was scoring earlier in the season. He got hurt. He's come back from injury. Hasn't been scoring as well. Um Tete, that Brazilian winger that they signed who started really well, has kind of, you know, got invisible. Barnes is still playing well here and there, Harvey Barnes, but I'd say it's the defense that's more the problem for them. They haven't figured out a way to make uh, Wout Face and uh, uh, Sutar play well together as the center back pairing. And I, I think they've got a lot to be worried about. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, there's still a lot of football to be played. You know, there's a lot of bad teams. West Ham, Bournemouth, Leeds, Everton, Nottingham Forest, all of these teams. Southampton, I think, are, are pretty much relegated. There's just too many teams above them that are, you know, probably best just a little bit too good for them. But, yeah, just 
I think Wolves and up now. I think Crystal Palace with these last couple of results, that 5-1, what a game they played against Leeds. I mean, Leeds played well in that first 30 minutes, uh, got a goal, but Crystal Palace kind of weathered the storm, got an equalizer, and then just played them off the pitch in the second half. I hadn't seen Crystal Palace play that way and at any point under Patrick Vieira. Um, when was the last time they scored five in a game? <laughs> like it, had, I, it had been years. I don't remember that at all. Like, no, it never it, happened I, under Vieira. It, and it hardly happened under Roy Hodgson the last time he was there either. So, you know, for him to come back in and, you know, they got a win against, uh, I think... He's getting the best out of Eze. Southampton. Eze and uh, Elise, who... I know Elise was doing okay under Vieira, but oh, Eze was it. pretty much frozen out of the team. Crystal Palace have just like solidified themselves. Uh, they are technically still in a little bit of trouble because they're on 33 points, uh, even though they're in 12. But, you know, they beat Leicester, who we mentioned are right down there in the relegation zone, and now Leeds, who are just above the relegation zone. So, you know, if there was a threat of them being dragged into it, it was in those two games. If they had lost both of those games or, or one yeah, of those games and drawn the and other. And they beat Fulham. They beat Fulham before that as well, right? Wasn't that Roy's first game? No. No, Roy's first game was the uh, Leicester game. The Leicester game. That was the last minute round. Right. The one that got Brendan Rodgers fired. The, yeah. So, yeah, exactly. This is just, they're all doing it to each other. They're all just reacting to the, like, the other teams down there in the relegation well, zone uh, beating No, what them. I'm thinking of is uh, West Ham. West Ham got a, uh, a West big Ham win beat over Fulham, Fulham. Yeah. And that was a huge win because they were in the relegation zone under Moyes. And that lifted them out of the relegation zone, as well as Bournemouth. Bournemouth got a huge win over Leicester, like you just said, and they were in the relegation zone. So all these teams have been switching to each other in the relegation zone, but but wins for Bournemouth, wins for West Ham, take them out of the relegation zone. And then another team we haven't talked about is Nottingham Forest. You know, there was a while there where we thought, they, hey, look, they're back. You know, they're going on a great run. They're unbeaten at home for six, seven games. And then they've just gone on this run where we knew they were going to have a lot of hard games in a row, but, you know, they didn't really particularly put up a fight against Aston Villa. They got kind of played off the pitch again, and I'm kind of worried for them now again, you know, because there's so many teams that are above them right now that are getting results, like Wolves, like West Ham, Bournemouth, you know, even Leeds to a certain extent. For all the criticism we've given Leicester in this, Nottingham Forest in the last five games are on identical form. They have one point in their last five games, and that was against Wolves, a team that's above them. But they've lost games uh, to Villa, like you mentioned, uh, just last weekend. Uh, they lost at Leeds uh, after leading in that game. Uh, they lost at home to Newcastle in agonizing fashion with like a penalty right in the 90th minute. And uh, before that, they lost uh, 3-1 at Tottenham. So... <laughs> What's their manager's name? Steve Cooper? Yeah, Steve Cooper. He's had the uh, the dreaded vote of confidence from the owner like twice this season. And they he's just had like a, it like... They maybe renewed like, his contract like earlier in the season when they were like in the relegation zone. So it feels yeah, like I'm they're going to stick with him no matter what. I, yeah, I would do that if I were them. Even if they got relegated, I would just stick with him and let him, you know, retool the team and come straight back up with them. Uh but you never know. Like, it seems like every other team down in that relegation zone has, you know, fired their manager and brought in someone else. Pretty much every single one. Southampton have done it twice. Leicester have done it now. Everton have done it with uh, Lampard to Dyche. Uh, Leeds have done it with Javi Gracia. Bournemouth did it way earlier in the season. Um, and Wolves up in 13th have done it and Palace above them. So only, only really... 
West Ham and Nottingham Forest have stuck by their guys this whole season. And I know there's some decent results for West Ham recently, but it, it seemed like having Moyes for this long was what was like dragging them down into this. Like they needed to fire him and get someone else in way earlier to, you know, avoid being in such a bad position at the moment. But oh well, we'll see how it goes. I'm still sticking to my uh, my my three picks. I think I had Southampton, uh, Leeds, and Bournemouth. I, I think Bournemouth are doing an admirable push, but I think they're going to fall off again going into this, these last uh, couple games of the season. And, uh, you know, I think Leeds are scum and they're going to get relegated. We can only have right, here. Anything else uh, to mention before we go? Uh, just some of the games in the weekend, right? We got some uh, few decent ones. The uh, the oh, Villa true, yeah. Newcastle game looks uh, looks juicy. That's Saturday, seven thirty a.m. That should be a uh, a cracker because both of these teams are in great form. Newcastle have only still only lost one game this season, and uh, sorry, three games, three games, and uh, and Aston Villa like they're they're on some of the best form in the league, so. You know, the, if Newcastle can, this is the type of game they're going to have to win to get top four. You know, definitely can't lose it. And if Villa want to get any type of Europe, they're going to have to beat Newcastle. It's a great, that's uh, a great, 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 great game. I think that's the game of the weekend for me. Um, it, yeah, here's Villa's chance, Javier. You said they've got a big uh, gap between them and top four. Right. This is their this chance. Is this is their chance. This is huge for them. So let's see how they do it. They're at home in front of their fans where they've been really hard to beat this season, no matter who's gone there. Um, Manchester City uh, at home to Leicester Saturday twelve thirty. That's a that's a decent one. I don't know if Leicester will do anything there. There's sometimes a little bit of a bogey team for randomly like we've just they've just beaten City like at the Etihad or like. All right, man, keep dreaming. I know. Keep dreaming. I don't think I it's gonna it. happen. And then uh, we play a uh, Sunday nine a.m. Arsenal at West Ham. That should it's not an easy game, but uh, West Ham traditionally is a team that Arsenal has uh, little trouble with. So kind of expecting the same with the way we're playing right now we have been the best team far and away away from home this season and uh i continue i i expect that to continue right now at a relatively easy ground to play at it's kind of mild and if you uh enjoy watching chelsea get housed at stanford bridge you can watch uh chelsea brighton at saturday oh, at 10 a.m they're gonna wipe the floor with <laughs> matoma is gonna take you to the cleaners man i just hope i just hope evan ferguson uh, uh my irish my irish brethren i want a mccallum uh, start it. with like uh you know he hasn't he hasn't gotten enough start this would be a good game for him i think this would right? be a good game for him lots of space to run into an attack just have I him mean, have him go at dunk and you know those big fucks they have at the back joel feltman yeah right all right, that's enough Chelsea talk. Javier, thank you for jumping on this one late at night on a Tuesday. I uh, appreciate it very much. Uh, if you want to follow Javier on Twitter, you can follow him at JavierRev9. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at ASMoss92. And you can follow the podcast socials at GhostGoalPod. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please go ahead and leave a rating or review. Those new ratings and reviews help new listeners to find the podcast and... We always appreciate it when you guys help us grow this thing. Enjoy the games this weekend, and until next time, see ya.